Hey, hard yarners and Patreons. Ah. Uh, we're just going to give our, Patre- our Patreons a quick shout out. We're um, literally shouting out everyone, even though the five buck Patreons aren't meant to get a shout out, apparently, yeah. according to our tears. <laughs> yeah, but we're shouting everyone out to start. Okay, so uh, yeah, so uh, the ones that haven't had a shout out is Jackoff. Jackoff. He, 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 Yarkoff, he got, mate. Yarkoff. Yarkoff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know him. Yeah. So he, he got a shout out in the Patreon. These three got a shout out in the Patreon, yeah. but. Um, uh, yeah, Reese Davis, your yep. your mate, legend, um, and then finally Adam Gray, Adam Gray. But the cheap prick only got the five dollar a month. <laughs> hey, don't shame Adam. No, Gray. fuck you, Adam, Adam Gray. Shame. <laughs> no, no, he's good. So um, shout out to you guys and anyone that wants to get involved. We've got a footy tipping um, comp going. There will be prizes. We're going to source it from potential sponsors uh, and a fantasy footy league, which I love. Branchy hates, but um, oh, I hate. F- yeah. Oh, yeah, I hate fantasy. I'll do it. That. I'm doing it. But okay. I'll put my team in and just never, right. never look at it again. So <laughs> to jump on that, just go on uh, Hard Yarns Insta, Facebook, or literally you can go patreon.com forward slash the Hard Yarns podcast. I think it's join the Hard Yarns podcast. Yeah, yeah. you could be right. Who Search knows? Hard Yarns podcast on Patreon. It's like a Facebook feed, which yeah. again, this is very inception because we're going to start the way we finish. I'll say it at the end. Hmm. But we are with our guest, Robbie <laughs> Tedeschi? 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 Tedeschi. I was trying to do it Italian then. (laughs) Um, And uh, a little bit about yourself, Robbie, real quick. What have we got? You used to be a... So, yeah, I've practised family law for the best part of seven years until about three weeks ago when I uh, quit (laughs) my job due to the... uh, the mandates or, you know, I had a lot of things that were sort of bothering me about family law and it was sort of a straw that broke the camel's back moment. Yeah. So I've been practising family law for seven years and uh, is it is it, is it It was a podcast of two halves, really. Yeah. I think the first half was all about the family law and, yeah. and the, that sort of uh, the law system and then the second half was a bit about the revolution and uh, a bit of American history. and Yeah. It's really a wide-ranging really, sort of, yeah, yeah like formative sort of, geopolitics generally. Yeah. So if you're going through a breakup or a separation or anything to do with your kids, this is probably a good one, really informative it's one. It's also well. actually pretty, like, because even me in moments, I've felt not triggered, but, like, yeah, it, it does trigger a few emotions uh, this episode, especially when we start talking about the kids stuff. So, yeah, just be cautious when listening. Yeah, but we got lots of um, help from Robbie at the end with some recommendations. Um, Which so is great. Enjoy the app. And let's get hard. Let's get hard. Welcome to Hard Yarns Podcast. I am fucking fat. (laughs) (laughs) Anything Chris White says, please (laughs) disregard it. 5D is actually a state of being. It's a unity consciousness. That was Hard Yarns with me, Frankie Rose. So I'm going to throw it over to your co-hosts. Daniel Jelby. And Cameron Brand. I would do this and then I'd gong. (laughs) (laughs) Free in attendance for the millions listening at home. Practice, yeah. practice the intro. <laughs> nearly too hopped up on pain meds. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> you don't have any. But. Lucky we'd only started speaking for twenty seconds. But yeah. uh, but you you were saying sorry. You've, sorry. Um, you're the prime example of someone who's lost their jobs their job through um, uh, mandates um, or not through mandates, but one of the prime co- uh, reasons. So yeah, yeah. Look, absolutely. So. Just as background for the the viewers and the, and the listeners who are who are going to be watching is uh, I've been doing family law for the best part of seven years. Uh, I've resigned from my position about three weeks ago. Um, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was was the mandates. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'd have an ambivalent relationship with family law 
from the get go, really, it's a tough jurisdiction and it's a it's a really difficult job and uh, a lot of sort of disillusionment with the job itself and I suppose the way that the system functioned had been making me ask a lot of questions for a long period of time and then when it came to a point where I was basically I'd have to um, get a get a jab, otherwise I can't go to court, I can't come to the workplace mm. and things of that nature. Just, it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It was something that I decided that I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to um, just fall into line just for the sake of maintaining my job. Um, and I should also emphasise as well that I don't want anyone to get an impression that I was forced out of my job. It was a choice yeah. that I yeah. made. Like my, my employer at the time was actually really good about it. They tried to move heaven and earth to convince me to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a decision that I needed to to make for myself, which I came to. But it definitely wasn't, um, you know, you have to do this, otherwise you're going to get booted. That's yeah. not what my employer was like at all. But it was just one of those things. Sometimes you've got to pin your sails to the mask on something yeah. that you feel strongly about. And... Um, it's you know a wide range of reasons, I suppose, why yeah, I don't, well, don't yeah. want to have the jab. Well, so, uh, so obviously, um, before we get into the the jab uh, coercion, which, which we can probably call it, and we um, should we should eventually get someone on that likes the jab. Yeah, so we yeah. don't seem like an anti. Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't yeah. want to get the wrong yeah, yeah. criticism. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. But I mean, it's just yeah, we don't. It's just funny because you people go I'll get someone on that's pro, and it's people our age. Yeah, you can't fucking find many <laughs> yeah, yeah. that are like, no, nah, it was hell good how the government forced me into a corner. Yeah, uh, choosing between my job and putting whatever they've got in my body. But it's ridiculous. Yeah, so you're going to ask him about yeah, so family like, law because so I'm kind of really interested. Well, yeah, because. You say, you say you sort of it was the straw that broke the camel's back. So obviously you were a bit disillusioned with the, the whole law system. A like lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Itself. Yeah. And from the outside you can see how there's loopholes and, and parts of the system that sort of benefit, you know, <laughs> people who are in the elite sort of wealthy sort of uh, side of things. But obviously being in, in, in family law, you must have seen some stuff that's a bit sort of one-sided or stuff that you didn't agree with. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think the biggest flaw with the family law system is the amount of time that it takes to grind your way yeah. through the system. So as a starting point, for instance, if, um, if people separate, uh, oftentimes they'll go for you know, years mm. without even trying to you know, speak to one another or discuss finances and things like that because it's a very emotional time. It's hard for people to deal with. But mm. from the court's perspective, your application doesn't exist until it actually is filed with the court. So you get a lot of people coming to you very late in the process saying, oh, this has been going on for, you know, I've been separated for 10 years, I want to I want to deal with this. And then you, you have to explain to them, well, if this, we can't reach an agreement with the other side, mm-hmm. you're looking at two to three years before you get your trial. You could easily spend north of $100,000. Is this when there's a dispute? This is when there's a dispute. Yeah. So there's definitely a range of outcomes. Because if available. I want to separate... Right, and we're, we're amicable. Mm. We just file it. All good. Well, yes. In a well, because I'm about to sense. go through this as well. Like, yeah. so I think I'm a year. I'm coming up on a year of separated with my ex partner. Yep. Or ex wife. Uh, what, what's the process there? Do I have to? Yeah. I don't even know. Is there a legal thing? Can Maybe. I? Can I just go? We're done, and then that's it. Well, look. The, the decision to separate, any, mm-hmm. any one person can make. No one can force you to stay in a relationship yeah, that, you, yeah. that, that you don't want to be in. But, for instance, if you want to do a property settlement, for instance, what I used to tell my clients, and I should just emphasise as well for listeners, I'm not currently practising. Um, don't take this as legal advice. Yeah, don't take yeah. this as legal <laughs> advice. Got to know, we, 
Well, you've t- yeah, old, you've old, t- old, old habits die hard. Yeah. Um, but what I used to tell people was basically you need to exchange your financial information with one another. So there's a really broad ranging obligation to exchange financial disclosure. So this involves things like your, your, your tax returns, your bank statements, your superannuation statements. You've got to get valuations for businesses and for properties and things like that if the two parties can't agree mm-hmm. what those things are worth. So... We generally, I generally tell people to try to sit down with with each other, yep. thrash out a deal, and then come back to us, and then mm-hmm. we can try to draft the documents, which will get it through. But an interesting question you asked before is, if we're amicable, can we just submit the documents and yeah. that'll be done? Yeah. The answer is no. Um, <laughs> well, the, well, the answer is yeah. sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. One of the common misapprehensions that a lot of people have about mm. family law is that if, if, if the two of us agree, the court's just going to rubber stamp this right. And it's, yeah. it's not actually correct because for any family law property settlement, the court has to be persuaded that the agreement that you've reached is just and equitable. Yeah. So what the bloody hell does that mean? Yeah. Basically that it's fair. Yeah. So the court's got to look at all the different contributions that both parties have made over three yeah. key areas, financial, non-financial and in parenting. Yeah. And they've got to look at a bunch of factors which we call the future needs factors and the things that normally come up is stuff like, you know, earning capacities. One yeah. party because, you know, making bank, earning 300K, working for Woodside. And then you've got the mother who's got no earning capacity because she because she raised the kids. So you've actually yeah. got to persuade the oh, court. Or you've got a podcast host who earns fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> Probably who works to, for the government. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a good time to do your settlement then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's not as simple as just a rubber stamp and that yeah. really grates on people because there's two things that I think great people. One is the amount of financial documentation that we ask people to get. Finances to most people are a very um, private matter. Yeah. And people think that their finances attract national security levels of secrecy. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't. Just Epstein's does. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't been too many people murdered in the, uh, yeah. in the family so there, there are a couple, obviously, yeah. you, you see it in, in, in the media. No, they're not murdered, yeah. they suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so they got to provide the financial stuff, yeah. And then huge amounts one. of financial stuff, yeah. and then, like you say, like I said, you know, you've got to convince the court that it's that it's fair, that it's just and equitable. So people say to you, oh, well, so you can submit this, and it might not get through. Yeah, you say, well, maybe. Yeah. And whether or not that's the case, it, it all depends on each individual set of circumstances, what yeah. the underlying facts are, what's agreed, what's not agreed. Does that mean – have they made that like more hoops to jump through so more people are getting paid out of this or is it actually made to be fair and just? I think from a policy perspective, the reason that they're doing it or the, the reason that the law was written the way it was yeah. is because there's an awareness that – there's sometimes um, a power yes. differential between the two people in that relationship. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, the guy who has all the financial cards and, yeah. and the wife's a bit, you know, subservient or yeah. hasn't had a great deal to do with it. So I think yeah. the intention was good yeah. in that they want to make sure that the deal is fair and that somebody who's in a vulnerable position compared to their partner yeah. you know, in terms of that power differential aren't just going to get trucked and yeah. left mm. destitute. That, that's like me saying, oh, me and my wife, let's say I've got power that people don't know about at whatever happens in our home, mm. right? Um, and I'm like, yep, yeah, this is fair. I'm taking 75%. She's getting 25%. we have agreed, rubber stamp it. But you, the court would look at it and go, hang on a second. 
it's not actually fair just because you're saying it's fair? Is that what you mean? We would have to persuade the court why yeah. it's fair. So you'd have to yeah, emphasize, okay. you know, for instance, I came in with a whole bunch of money or yep. I've received a significant inheritance during the relationship, which yep. is basically what forms the bulk of the wealth that we have to divide. Yeah. Um, so those are the sorts of things. This is good. I like this. This is going to be very educational for – this I, is probably run of the mill for you, but this is brand new for like – And it's big me. on me, like, because I'm, I'm about to go through all this. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a situation where me and my ex, we're – very amicable. We're so happy with how this the split has gone. Yeah, she there's got ninety nine percent. one percent. There's no there's no assets to divide. We, uh, you know, we sold a house prior to it all going down. Anyway, we were renting, to, waiting to see what happened through COVID. Anyway, so we didn't have to divide fucking leftover money, leftover uh, like a house. We we took one car each. So I don't know if is that. To and me you chose just, that car. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. No, 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 look, yeah, anyway, regardless, I'm, I'm happy with how it's all done and she's probably got off a oh, oh, maybe a little better in certain, a couple of things, but I don't care. So I'm just, I'm just, re- I'm right to leave it. Well, it's one of those things where that what we call that's an informal property settlement. So unless, yep. unless you've got um, an order of the family court behind that agreement, or you've implemented your agreement through another instrument, it's called a financial agreement, mm. you don't actually have a final property settlement mm. in the eyes of the law. Yeah. So to, to, to fully sever the financial relationship, you've got to do it via court order or a financial agreement because theoretically, um, unless you've been divorced for over one year, yep. um, either of you could make an application for property settlement at any time. Against the other, and that mean that, and if if so, if that were to happen ten years from now, if mm-hmm. you hadn't didn't get divorced and you decide you want to make a claim, all the property that you've accumulated in that ten years since you separated, mm. that's got to come into the asset pool. Oh wow! It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be divided necessarily, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it has to be identified mm. um, and it has to be disclosed. I don't think any of us are done. Fuck. How all do they have <laughs> enough time for all the separations to go in through this, man? The forensics in this would be insane. Well, it. You do it through a suite of documents. So yeah. you've got like a, a document where you sort of describe what's in the asset pool. So you yeah. do a schedule of assets and liabilities. Then you have some, some, some forms that you fill in saying, well, these are the contributions I made. These yeah. are the contributions she's made. For these reasons, we say that it's just and equitable. And yeah. Generally, a registrar of the court will look at that document in their office. The fancy word is in chambers. Mm. Yeah. And then you get a notification, you know, three or four weeks after you submit the orders, they'll either wow. give you an order with the court seal on it, which yeah. means you know that it got through, or they send you a letter saying, we have issues with your agreement for X, Y, and Z reason. These yeah. are the things that you need to address um, and, you know, try again. Fuck. So does it um, amount to some form of perjury if a guy is trying to hide property or if a girl is trying to hide property and accounts from the partner? A hundred percent. It's, um, it's a it's a huge violation of the financial disclosure rules. Yeah. And if you want the certainty as well of knowing that you've got a final binding agreement, you want to disclose everything because if it comes out later on that you had a house or a mm. bunch of money that you didn't disclose at the time you did the agreement, mm. the courts can say, well, that wasn't a just and equitable agreement. Yeah. And there's a, there's a provision in the act that you can um, invoke to set aside that original agreement. So sometimes being slippery, yeah. too clever is dumb. At the end of the day, you know, it depends whether you get caught or not. Yeah. But as a, you know, as, as, as an officer of the court, you've got to play <laughs> it by the book. And yeah. the, the advice has always got to be, if you've got it, you've got to disclose it. Yeah. And if I had a client that refuses refused to disclose that stuff, I wouldn't act for him. Yeah. So go see somebody else. So 
what about down the line? You've you've separated. Let's say okay, and we'll, we'll just use me and Steph. We separate. Everything sorted. Like we've we've done the legal side. And in ten years' time, I make a movie and I make millions of dollars. What's the? I'm I'm actually curiously interested because mm. that's goals for me. My goals is to me a movie yeah. a filmmaker. And if I was to make a big movie that made a lot of money, for example, which you do, Delby does Dallas. Delby does Dallas. <laughs> what's the what's the go there? What's the go there? Look, so long as you've got the the court order or the financial agreement behind it, mm. um, you're probably going to be safe. There's no such thing as like a a true severed forever sort of a thing because there's, wow. there's, there's this there's this section in the act. Well, we've got a kid as well. Well. It's not so much about the child, it's just that there's this thing in the Act called Section 79A, which allows you to vary or set aside orders that have been made by consent or that have been um, ordered by the court. And there's a, very, there's a number of factors which the court has to look at in deciding whether or not to mm. um, vary that agreement or that, that, that those orders that were previously made. But assuming that this movie wasn't in the pipeline yeah, at yeah, the time yeah. that you did the deal yeah, and it's yeah. happened 10 years after you've done your, done your agreement, geez, you're going to be hard pressed to yeah. get that one up in the court. But regardless as well, like I, I've, I've spoken to Wolfie about this sort of stuff before. Uh, you know Wolfie pretty well. Yep, and yep. he made a good, very good point. I would, I definitely agree with Wolfie. Wouldn't you want the other half of your child's life to be living as, as well? As well anyway. So oh, if there 100%. was a situation where like- Good fathers or the, I, I mean, <laughs> or good mothers I, I'm not sure I could, how it would go the other way. Like if Steph made millions somehow yeah. and it was- the roles were reversed. I don't know if I could go, right, can you sneak me some? Like, mm. But I definitely would go, yeah, fuck, I should be funding some money over there to make sure her second half of her life is what I want. Well, it would be a matter of personal well. choice. If you've done your agreement, you're under no legal obligation to pay those things. Obviously, you've got to pay your child support. Yeah, so and what's the, yeah, and ch- child support, that's the thing. So we've just like, oh, we're 50-50, who cares? What's- well, it, it, it's up to the individual's who are going okay. through the split, really. If you if you and your, your, your former partner have an arrangement that you're happy with, that's mm-hmm. fine. But yeah. mm. from a legal perspective, um, your only obligation to pay child support is what you've actually been assessed to pay by the child support agency. It yeah, uses okay. this, this formula that's based upon your respective incomes minus like a self-sufficiency amount, which is a very ungenerous $20,000. Apparently mm. that's all it costs to, yeah. to live. To live, to live for a year. And then they, it depends on the number of nights you've got the children. The formula spits out a figure you've got to pay. Mm. Um, and then as long as you're paying that amount, um, in the eyes of the law, you're fulfilling your child support obligations. The problem is, from my experience, is, is that the vast majority of mothers who are receiving child support, mm. they say that it's not enough. Mm. And then it leaks into children's issues sometimes, which in, in the eyes of the law, it's not supposed to. Mm. Yeah. But people will say, oh, well, you know, unless you give me... X, Y, and Z, or you agree to pay whatever children's expenses, you're not going to see the children this yeah, weekend. Yeah. And even though that's wrong yeah, in, many, in many ways, like oftentimes commercially, you're probably better off just stumping up the cash than trying to go to the family court and have yeah. a huge Barney there because it's a lot much faster way to solve the problem. Yeah. The issue being it then emboldens that type of behaviour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, child support, ultimately it's, it's up to the individuals. Um, What's the know. punishment for not doing it? Because I know my old man just stopped. Well, it depends how much you're assessed to pay. So if, if, you, if you've been assessed to pay a bunch and yeah. you've just not been paying, the child support agency's got all sorts of powers that it can invoke to enforce payments. They yeah. can issue notifications to your employer requiring your employer to garnish from your wage, whatever your child support Fuck. obligations are. Ah. 
the child support agents in the ATO have um, information sharing um, between the two of them, so they can intercept tax returns. So if you're entitled to money back from your return, yeah. child support agency, so just take thank, it. Thank you. We'll have that. Yeah. Pay it to the mother. Um, the child so Italian dads are sweet because it's all fucking a cash. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking a cash. Yeah, there there is some truth to that uh, yeah. that stereotype. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm living proof. I, and I, I do, uh, I am interested. Again, like it, it, it's something that I, I will go through at some point soon. When, like, so if you're earning the same ish, um, and you're fifty fifty with with um, looking care. after the care. Is there any child support paid one because you're a man and she's a woman? Uh, no, is there no. anything like that? Or is so it- the formula is not based upon genders. It's literally it, just it's based upon income and nights of care. So if you cool. had basically the same income, same number of nights in care, mm-hmm. it's hard to see yeah. a child support cool. agency yeah. coming back. You know, there's an online calculator that you can use, and yeah, this okay. is you know I encourage anyone. This I used to tell my clients if you want to get an idea about what your child support entitlements might be, yeah, jump cool. online, Services Australia website, and you can, you can get a rough, a rough idea. But sometimes, you know, there's, there are good, good blokes out there as well who do the right thing, yeah. you know, have very well, generous. Well, I was, was going to say, there's not, not many relationships are the way that me and yeah, I was going to say, are, most like, of so, them are fucking nightmares. Because we've man. just sort of said, yeah, if, if you go on a holiday, it's, that's you, that's your expense, but everything else like schooling, you know, hospital bills, all of that, that's just split 50-50 and, um, and then whatever you pay f- buy for them when yeah, you're in fuck man, care, it's, it's it makes yours sense. I love it. That's how we've done it. But so many couples, I love us scorned. Yeah, is, yeah. That's just not. You would see the worst, which is that's what I mean. Starting so, off like educational, and then we can get into the to the inequities and the horror stories that you've experienced because that's a bit more fun to talk about than yeah. Well, we've got to be careful about the uh, level of details that are yeah. provided in yes. the horror stories, definitely. Yeah. But um, no, and that's the right thing to do as well, Branchy, because mm. you know the the people who suffer the most through any separation, it's always the children. Yeah. And, you know, in my experience, um, through the family court, there's various means where children can express their views. Mm-hmm. And in almost every case that I've, that I've seen where there's been an expert report or the children's views have been obtained, if they're asked, you know, what it is that they they could have, like a make-a-wish sort of a thing, mm-hmm. say mum and dad being together. Yeah. Almost almost universally. And it's just it's tragic to see yeah, um, yeah. children get damaged by parents who are at war with each other and see every sort of issue as some like battleground for their pride well, rather yeah. than putting their kids first. I've always yeah. felt as it's well tragic with like pertaining to ha- like having issues and quarrels. It's one, it's going to affect your kid, but selfishly it's going to, it's just going to make things harder for yourself. So like if I'm having, if I'm already having anxiety, panic attacks, feeling lonely, feeling down and off, like why would I add to that by fueling a, a a bigger argument. Yeah, but that's what some people that aren't as emotionally intelligent as you. Yeah, they, no, I they, get that. That's they how they do it by purpose because yeah. that's the attention that they're craving. Yeah. So I. Do, that's how I think. I'm just like I'm. Even though I might be avoiding a conflict or like settling or whatever, or same with her the other way around. It, for for me, it's just like you. You're doing it better for you for yourself anyway. You're sort of avoiding that sort of own. Yeah, but blokes are dumb, bro. Yeah, so chicks. When you put your children first, ego comes yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're putting your children first by yeah. doing things that way, and that's the way that you've got to look at it. And mm. this is what I used to tell people as well: is that don't expect any pats on the back for doing all of the right things. Mm. No yeah. one's going. The, the system's not going to, you know, come along and say, you know, um, you've done amazingly, and the other person's entirely at fault. You need to take solace in the fact that you know in yourself you're doing everything you can to minimise this impact on your children, and that when they become adults that they will look back on 
the way mum and dad behaved and they'll see who the who who, who was the bigger adult and who do you find that first. I mean I don't know how much experience you have with that but do you find that later in life the kids learn for themselves oh fuck mum was talking shit about dad all the time everything she said was a lie or vice versa and they work it out for themselves or is it too late by then when they've been poisoned because I know that lived experience not my direct family but real close where one parent's telling the kids something that the dad's doing where he's not or vice versa I've just used my example but know for a fact that the stuff that the mum's telling the kid is completely not right and then they end up holding resentment towards their dad and it's not until they become a little bit older, 17, 18, 19, 20, where they're like, oh, fuck, you know, mum wasn't doing too well. Yeah, or, or the other way around, yeah. but yeah. Do you see that? Oh, look, or well, are you sort of not part of that? You'd need to bump into a child yeah. later in life and then even if you did, you'd probably you you'd be constrained about what you could and couldn't say because yeah. you're, you're bound by legal professional privilege your, your, your whole life. But um, it's definitely something that happens and yeah. – I suppose for the parents who are the victims of that, you know, being alienated from their children, Happens being told to, yeah. told that you know that they're, that they're the devil reincarnated yeah, by yeah. their bitter ex spouse, the even even though you have a longer relationship with your children as adults than you do while they're ch- children, those, yeah. are, those are special, that's crazy. Yeah, those are special times. What and a you, fucking! You never get those back. That's mm. mind blowing. You have a longer relationship with your kids when they're adults than when they're kids. Mm. That's a fucking. Mm. That's just made my mind blow up, man. Well, the way the generations the are going now, though, like the, yeah. the children until we're about thirty when we move out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Italian yeah. men were anyway yeah. back then, but yeah. and you only get that on the opposite spectrum of that. You only get a certain amount of time with your kid as a growing up, well, as a as a small as, kid. Oh, like absolutely. As, a, as like the the kid that is almost. <laughs> As a completely cute kid. dependent on <laughs> yeah, a cute kid, yeah, yeah. not an arsehole. Yeah. No, uh, like completely dependent on you, making mistakes, falling over, that sort yeah. of stuff. You can't miss that either. Like that's that side is. Yeah. I think that goes too quick. I'm at, I'm at that point now. It's gone. Like the times my, you never get back. My anyway. daughter is four and a half. Like she's getting a bit. She's still small. She's still kid like, but she's getting to the. I'm starting to see the adult. You know, you know, like the fucking. You know the. The sassiness, yeah. the comebacks, the, the coming a lot attitude, more clued on, attitude, yeah. Yeah. knowing how to manipulate mum and dad oh, a little bit. Like fuck that definitely happens. Me, she age. can manipulate yeah. me like that. She knows what she's doing. She's, I reckon she's way smarter than she gives off. Just on, <laughs> she's like, I'm gonna fucking fool this prick. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's a great statement. Um, so I was gonna say, yeah, uh, the courts go in one way or the other. And then we're talking about. Um, how really you just want to be a good parent yeah. for a kid. Yeah. But then all the legal matters come into play. So, and that's, is this what you were saying prior? Like where you felt like the system wasn't serving yeah. people, so right? Is that one of the reasons? You, and, another, well, and before I get into that, can we, mm-hmm. can we double onto that question? Because going through uni, when I was at uni, I started in uh, business commerce and I did uh, the law section. I quite liked it. Um, hated the, the business, like fell asleep in, in the classes. And then changed course, did um, biomedical science after traveling. Then still I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this and, and then changed to phys ed and drama because my gut was like, oh, I really want to do this, right? So when you've gone to uni, just personally, did you had you always wanted to go into family court, family law? Did you always want to be a lawyer? Is it something that's happened and then you've seen the – I don't know if the atrocities is the word, but the injustice within the family court and you're just off it. Like 
how does that as just a, a person choosing what they want to do affect like your, your career path? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, well, had you always wanted to do that? Did you realize how it was going to make you bitter and twisted about the system? So I suppose like you're really asking about my, my trajectory yeah. like in, into the law. So. And then finish off with, yeah. I was actually a really, really poor student at uni. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I went to uni and I did a couple of years and I started failing a few things and I yeah. wasn't really sure about what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, had a couple of years off, then I came back, still wasn't sure, and I just decided I was going to finish my law degree. I was a much yeah. better student when I came back. Because so you know I, you want to be there. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's in the family as well. Yeah. My, my dad's a, a barrister yeah. and I suppose it – the law lent itself well to the things that I did better in at school, like, yeah. you know, history, English, and those humanities type things. But yeah. I sort of fell into family law. Um, I think all young law students to some degree have a bit of a, you know, complex in thinking that, you know, you're going to be able to have a real big impact yeah. and um, you're going to be able to help people through these really difficult periods in their lives. Yeah. And then the, the realisation when you actually get into practice is, 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 is very different because it's not fair to probably describe it as a bit of a mob type thing, but it's an element of like, fuck you, pay me. Yeah. Um, and it's an extremely expensive, um, you know, like system yeah. to go through. But the thing as that- As in as a student or as a, as a person? As, as, as a litigant yeah. in, in the court. And that can be quite, quite disillusioning. But yeah. the main area of the system that upsets or frustrates me is what happens in a lot of children's matters. You yeah. know, there's um, people flinging all sorts of mud. They'll say, you know, you're, you're a drug addict or yeah. you've, you've got depression and anxiety or other mental health problems which impact on your capacity to care properly for your children. Yeah. Um, you know, allegations of sexual abuse which yeah. aren't true. And yeah, look, I've, I've, I know people that that's happened to. And, you know, and the, the problem that the court has in these, in these circumstances is that there's two main factors the court has to look at in determining what's in a child's best interests. Yeah. Number one is the right of the child to have a meaningful relationship with both their parents. Yeah. And the second one, though, which trumps the first, is the need to protect children from risk and harm. So mm. when the court receives these documents saying that, you know, you're a drug addict, you're, you're a sexual abuser, you're domestically violent, mm. they take a cautious approach because they prioritise the protection ahead of the meaningful relationship. Yeah. And it can take a long period of time to wind through the system and go through the various mechanisms that exist to explore those risks. Yeah. And in the what meanwhile, are they use? Are you allowed to say what they use? Uh, sorry. What do they use to explore? So, like actual police reports. Yeah. Or so there's a family lot of, and friends evidence, or there's a lot of information gathering stuff yeah. from like things like the Department of Communities, yeah. um, from the Western Australian Police, medical records as mm -hmm. well. You know, you can subpoena medical records. But the main mechanism the court uses is something called a single expert witness. And this is generally a person who's got um, a background in social work or psychology, and they're given a term, a set of terms of reference where they have to basically um, make recommendations about the level of the risk and what they think is the best arrangement moving forward. And the flaw with this system is, is that you get someone who's asked to look at mountains of paperwork, yeah. meet with people for you know maybe a couple of hours, yeah. and then their opinion carries an enormous amount of um, sort of like weight with the court. So, and all this <laughs> and stuff- And the kid's future. And all this stuff can take, you know, well over 12 months to even yeah. get, even to get the reports and stuff like this. So all the while, oftentimes men facing these allegations, and it, most of the time it is yeah, men, some, say, sometimes, is it, is, sometimes it is women, um, they're not seeing their children in a uh, natural environment mm. for a long period of time, you know? So you could be going and supervise contact with your kid for, a year plus and 
Um, it's really hard for a lot of men to accept. And the hard thing I found was trying to explain to these guys is like, look, you're being portrayed in a certain way. Yeah. And right now what you need to be able to do is be stoic. Yeah. Because if you react and you start behaving in the way that they're portraying you, yeah. you're feeding into the whole thing. So you've mm-hmm. got to be able to eat some shit sandwiches. Yeah. And I use the Bill Laurie analogy. I said, you know, there's a lot of crap that'll be thrown at you. You've yeah. got to let it go through to the keeper and preserve your wicket. Because yeah. if you play it sloppy shit and get out or you do something silly, yeah. it's not helping your case. So that that's what sort of hurts me. Seeing good fathers who yeah. don't, don't get to see their children. And I should just put a caveat on there. Not everyone in the family court is this yeah, guy yeah, who's had horrible allegations made about them, which are baseless. I was going to say, they're, they're some, there must be sometimes the good side of that uh, where they've stopped these sorts of situations from occurring. Yeah, look, abs- absolutely. And, you know, in fairness to the family court, they've got a really hard job. Oh, it's right. a yeah. bloody hard job. And, you know, no matter what you do, there's probably going to be someone who's going to criticise you. And I think yeah. any, any all family court judges is, you know, I suppose worst nightmare is giving an access to a child yeah. who then ends up getting um, murdered, you know, the murder-suicide yeah. stuff. I think there's been a few cases of that which have occurred that recently. yesterday and two days ago, eh? The one on the um, Coogee Beach. Yeah, you know, Beach? my old man yeah. had a story that of that. Was that murder-suicide? Well, they said, well, it's the mum and the two kids in the back. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I um, don't know. I know something about that, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what were you saying? Your dad had a case? Oh, so yeah, my old man had a case like that, you know, yeah. where he was acting for, um, acting for a lady and... Yeah. Um, it was an agreement made for the, the father to see the children and he ended up, he ended up, you know, yeah. the kids and himself. And, you know, um, you know, it's, there was, there was, this, there was a weird case though. My understanding is there was very few warning signs. Yeah. Um, was that yeah. the, I, I don't know if you can talk about it, but I heard one, uh, maybe it was Edgewater, the kid playing cricket and the dad came down and just killed the, killed the son. Which is completely random. I'm not familiar yeah. with that particular um, case. I'm not sure yeah. as well whether that was, you know, before the family court. Because yeah. a, lot, a lot of these matters, you know, happens in, I suppose, the, the immediate aftermath yeah. of a relationship breakdown. And you, you never know what's gonna, what's happening, all yeah. sorts of crazy stuff. You know, there could be infidelity. So, there could be, like, rampant meth use and stuff like that. People aren't in their right mind. Yeah. Um, and then crazy stuff happens. So what's, um, what's your personal experience, say, percentage-wise? I don't know if you can. How much percent of the guys that you see... And we'll just stick with guys if that's what the majority is and then give us the, the reverse for the girls. They've got the mud slung at them. The, the, the court's been told that they're touching the kid or are domestically violent or whatever. How much percentage ends up being all bullshit and how much is actually true? Oh, it's, it's almost impossible to say, Delby. Yeah. You know, like, um, is it a trend the- that where it's, it's not true as much as it is? What I would say is, is that there is a bit too much leniency on people who fling the mud and then when it comes out later, yeah. it's baseless. There's not enough of a punishment. That's and, and what look, I was going to go the, next. The court, it's not a punitive place. It's all about the child's best interests. But my view is, is that if, some, if it can be demonstrated in evidence in a final trial that this stuff was baseless yeah. and there was You've destroyed a bloke's life for it. Or a, and, or a female. And more importantly, you've destroyed the kid. The child's right to have their relationship yeah. with a parent who may well be a really loving and competent yeah. parent. And there should be consequences for that. Um, oh, I, know, couldn't, be, I couldn't think of anything worse than being, especially, you know, baselessly accused. Baselessly accused. And then false punished, allegations. Yeah. The, person doing, yeah, like the person I, doing that should fucking absolutely be raked over the coals. But what me and Steph, we can't. Ha- almost handle being away from our daughter seven days a week. So we've even made our 50-50 split like every two days basically. Mm. Um, and just f- even five days in a row is the wor- longest time I can be without my daughter in that sort of 
um, system that we have in place and five days without them is fucked. I couldn't imagine being told you can't see your kid. Well, because it's a good place to pause as well because yeah. this is the reality. If, if, if the two parents can figure out amongst themselves what arrangements they want for their children, the court never gets a say. Mm. Yeah. You know, the court only gets to, to, to have its two cents or weigh in if, if two people are, are arguing about it. So, right. You know, you got, if you've got two people who are, who are sensible, child-focused, you can put into place whatever arrangements you want for your children. I didn't mm. realise that. I thought that if you'd separated, you have to have some... This is how fucked my understanding is of our system. I thought they'd have to come in and say, no, nah, you've got to have a, you know, two days here, two days, and it has to be a formal agreement. You're saying that's only if there's ever any clash. Only if you can't agree. Yeah, wow. My, that's what I always tell people. And is people. jail time uh, an option for these sorts of false allegations? Mm. Oh, look, there, theoretically there is, um, the court has, there's a contempt application that you can make and it's the, the, the most draconian power the court has is to imprison somebody for contempt of court. It doesn't happen very often. Because we've seen that uh, different. It was the racial attacks in, in America. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Juicy oh, Sommelier. Yeah, that's the one. Just false allegations that he was racially attacked and then yeah. it wasn't. I think it was. Well, even the rape accusations of yeah. guys that haven't done it. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, but so, what, so he's gone to jail for like 150 days for that. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. But still, details. if somebody had been caught, punished and imprisoned for something that wasn't done because of his bullshit. Yeah. Fucking. A hundred percent. That's what I mean. Like, so it's right. almost been, you've been in jail for something that didn't happen, but just for yeah. the lying. But if you put, look on the flip side, let's say uh, I've got a kid with a, with a chick and she's put baseless allegations against me, smeared me. Then a year later, I'm like, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Put her in prison. Now the kids lost mum as well. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and, and, you know? and, yeah, and that's if you're that, a good dad, you're that's like, exactly the point, Del, yes. as well. The court doesn't want to do that because they're taking away a child's primary carer yeah. Um, yeah. from mm-hmm. them. So that's not going to be in a child's best interest. What I should say as well, though, it, it's it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. Like if you if you if you have the finances and you have the I suppose the emotional willpower and the stoicism to go through the system. Yeah. Um, I have I've had I had a number of cases where I acted for for men who were you know accused of some pretty nasty stuff and you know in my my read of the of the evidence and them as human beings was that they there was there was no substance to them we ended up getting the children into their into their primary care so yeah. it, changes of care do happen but it just takes a really long period of time mm. and you need independent sources of evidence behind you whether it be the police or the department of communities or or, the, or an expert opinion wow. sort of, you know, pushing. It's a lot of pressure direction. on that one court-appointed expert as yeah. well. And, Huge pressure. And potential for bribery and fucking misuse as well. If it's all the power of one person, mm. if you have any kind of corruption with that one person, then fuck me. Well, even you as a, a lawyer, like, and if you're, you've been duped by the person you're representing and you feel that they're, they're doing the right thing not. and you can't find any evidence to suggest the otherwise, um, like but they temper, are. Yeah. This like, is one of the most difficult things is, you know, I, I, I like to reality check my clients when I have them, you know, you, you sort of want to cross-examine them yeah. more or less about the accusations that they're making. If they're really serious stuff, you want to have some evidential basis for making it. What's the reaction you get? Do they get angry that you're questioning them? Yeah, oftentimes you get a lot of um, resistance because yeah. they they think that you're their cheerleader and they also, they want somebody who's going to be, I suppose, comforting towards them. They want to feel like you're on their side. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to explain to them that I'm actually- On the kid's side. Well, no, no, I'm on your side as well. Yeah. But 
I've also got an obligation to the court not to mislead the court about anything. So yeah. I need to reality check these things, not because I'm saying you're an inherent liar, yeah. but if, you know, if for instance, you're saying that the child's been horrifically abused, did you ever report it to the Department of Communities? If yeah. not, why not? You're saying you're in a horrifically domestically violent relationship, did yeah. you ever call the police? If not, why not? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that those, if there's evidence from the Department of Police substantiating those claims that it, it buries the issue, yeah. it doesn't necessarily, but at least there's some consistency there. Yeah. You can say, well, look, this is what they say and this is the reports they made that's consistent with the person who's Some going people are things. smart and they, they lodge these little complaints to set up a case against people, but they're the, they're the fucking I still, loonies. I still find it strange, and I guess this isn't the case with uh, family law, but just you know, cases in general where they have a jury – and it's just 12 random people from the public deciding on your deciding. future. And I know they're presented certain parts of evidence and it's just, but they're just 12 random people. Yeah. But that's only for criminal matters though, Branchy, yeah. you know, that you have, have, um, have the jury for, for things like for family court, it's always just yeah. it's either for a magistrate or a judge, if it's got sufficient levels of complexity. Um, and you know, you know, I don't want to be coming across as well that I'm just crapping all over the system because, mm. like I said, it's a really, really hard job. And, you know, there are a lot of really good people um, within the family law system who try to do the right thing. Mm. But like any industry as well, there are the, – What's it called? There, the, the tape? There are bad yeah. eggs, you know, people who will just take instructions and yeah. um, not be critical of them, you know, amplify conflicts when, you know, the best practice guidelines say we're supposed to be conciliatory and try not to pour petrol on the fire. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there's a business element to it as well. And sometimes if you take advantage of your client's emotional state and you can make some money out of it, you know, that, that, that definitely happens in my opinion. How do you, how do they, is there anything to keep that in check or is it just like your standards and integrity I think it's the standards yeah. of integrity, integrity of the individual practitioner. Like. And like I said, there's, you know, whenever you, you're working on a file, sometimes you'll get a piece of correspondence or you'll be given some court documents and you look at the lawyer's name on it and you, you either go, oh, fuck, or <laughs> thank God, you know, <laughs> someone reasonable. I can pick up the phone and call yeah. this person and discuss the issues what, and we can what, work on our clients. What would you find is an issue? Like they just want to drag it out to make more money? Or you see that person's name and you're like, fuck, that means that I'm going to have to just hyper, hyper aggressive, um, not being realistic about, wow. about, about what the range of entitlement might be in a property matter yeah. or just um, mindlessly parroting accusations that don't really have any substance. The only thing I'd say about that is sometimes as a lawyer, you can cross-examine your client as much as you want and yeah. reality check them. If they insist to you that this is the story and there's no other independent piece of evidence which shows that they're completely lying, yeah. you have to act on instructions. Mm. Yeah, um, right. And I think that's what happens a, a bit as well. So is the, the empathy in you for the relationship, for the children, for the good of everyone, is that what made you just go, I'm fucking... Would you say burnt out? Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of seeing these pricks who are literally here to just rot the system and make more money out of it. And, and I, I'm not talking just the, the clients, the lawyers as well, who are making things difficult... Is that a big part of it? Just Look, over there's, it? There's definitely an, yeah, just over it mm. yeah. more than anything. You Is know, it draining? Like the, 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 it's very draining. You know, people say, you know, you can just, you need to separate yourself from the emotion of it, but yeah. you have to be a robot to do that. Yeah. Um, and even if you are able to do that, when you're dealing with that level of like emotion mm. and oftentimes like negativity and, um, you know, really negative like personal narratives that your clients have in their mind, like that's, 
being dumped on you yeah. all the time. And like a succubus. Have, yeah, it's like a succubus. So, yeah. you know, it just, it just, it just taxing. Yeah. Listening to someone who's very distressed talking mm. to you, especially when you've heard the story about 15 times already. And yeah. it's just, it becomes very, very draining emotionally. I and, couldn't um, think of anything worse, bro. It's a, it's, it's, it's a hard job, but that's what I used to, if family lawyers have any utility to the community, it's trying to keep people out of the system. Yeah. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be, you know, um, focusing on commercial outcomes. And unless there's, you know, real clear evidence that children need to be protected, we need to be encouraging people to encourage relationships between yeah. um, And what do you do? Do you parents? recommend them to relationship counsellors, marriage counsellors, um, yeah, self-development courses? What's the move? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that in the family court, Delby. So, you know, doing courses, there's one called Mums and Dads Forever, which is about um, effective communication yeah. post-separation, doing things like that. But all the courses and the self-improvement stuff, it's, um, it's all window dressing unless the person going through it, one, accepts that they've got an issue that they need to do better with yeah. and then engage with it legitimately. Yeah. That was another thing is to tell my clients, I said, don't go through this as a box-ticking exercise yeah. thinking that we can then go up to an interim hearing and just start saying, oh, he's done this, this, and this, he's a reformed man. Yeah. Because if you go to trial, you're going to be questioned about All the, the things that you've, <laughs> you've supposedly learned about this yeah. stuff. And if you can't demonstrate any insight or change in behaviour, yeah. it, it leads to a conclusion or a, a conclusion that's open to the court that yeah. this person hasn't actually developed Don't any like, insight or anything like that. Yeah, fuck. So you were practising for seven years. Did you know going into it that that's what – the part of the job was going to be or were you just like yeah I'm going to help people get through you know help kids out and then you've realised fuck you got to learn about finances on top of law you got to learn about people's emotional mental health the taxing and the draining phone calls that you get fuck probably at all hours when they're stressed or they've just had a fight and a breakdown does that ever get communicated to you in uni? Uh, well look <laughs> I certainly didn't set out to be a family lawyer yeah. um, I was looking for work for about eight months, you know, just applying all over the town in different types of- What was legal, your ideal? Legal roles. Mate, I had no idea. Yeah. I just wanted a job, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be honest. And this was the first thing that that, that came along. Yeah. Um, See, that's probably not the kind of lawyer that you want as well, right? Someone that's doing- I was it a very good lawyer, Delby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of like, if someone's just there and you'd meet other lawyers that are just there because it's the job they got, when there's no real- passion or determination for the right thing to occur. Well, it's going to be a double-edged sword because mm. if you're too passionate about things, sometimes it can lead you to losing your objectivity. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the job of the lawyer is, is that there's the story your client tells you and yeah. then there's the stuff you can prove yeah. and the things that you know, maybe can't be proved. So you've always got to be evidence-focused. Um, and that's where you, if you're too passionate – and you, you see yourself as some sort of like crusader for yeah. your client and you're not questioning their story, you can, you can fall into traps yourself and you can get yourself into, in, into trouble as well. Do you, do you stay in law in another way, like in a different area? Uh, look, it's something that I've thought about. Like at the moment, I'm just sort of having a bit of a sabbatical and, mm. you know, big rethink. Because it's a lot of study life. to throw away. Yeah, but look, also at the same time, you've already done it, so whatever. And look, there are some parts of the job that are that are very fulfilling. Yeah. You know, like every now and then you get a client who tells you, you know, you've really helped them through a difficult period of their life, and that's real food for the soul because it yeah. doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often, but also like the theatre and the drama of the courtroom. It's an exciting yeah. place to be. You know, like advocacy is um is, is is a lot of a lot of fun. It's very yeah. nerve wracking, nerve wracking as well, but. Yeah. Um, there are lots of parts to the job that are um, that are you know fulfilling. Yeah. But it's the all the other stuff that comes with it that probably 
tip the scales for me personally. Scales of justice. Do you watch <laughs> movies and laugh? Oh, mate, 100%. <laughs> biggest th- th- Objection. That's all I know. Oh, mate. Sustained. Um, Sustained. The biggest you one. will be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest misconception that people have from American TV is, is that um, if you've been cheated on, you get to take them to the cleaners. <laughs> and we've got, a, we've, we've got a no fault system. So your ex could have, you know, like banged your, your brother, your best mate, um, you know, half the footy team. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's zero repercussions yeah. um, for it. So that's one of the most common sort of misconceptions that people have. Wow. Or that people think that you're automatically entitled to half if you're married. That's not the case at all. Wow. Um, those but are the two big ones. What about the de facto six months and they get – a big portion of stuff. Nah, it's not six months. So de facto can be um, a bit tricky because the difference, obviously, with with a marriage, you've got a nice, neat certificate. Mm. You know, that's the key that opens as the a celebrant signed by me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Invalidate this marriage. Um, but you know, ordinarily for de facto, you've got to be together for for two years, and okay. you've got to be in what's defined as like a marriage-like relationship. Right. And there's a whole bunch of indicators of whether or not you're in a marriage-like relationship. So where do they say, are you still having sex? Yeah, well, that's actually, it's actually in there. Bullshit. It's not, <laughs> not, not really? in those words, yeah. but the extent to which you what? have a sexual relationship with what? the other person is, so, one of, is one of the indicia of a de facto So if it's dissipated, they're like, yeah, you're married. <laughs> yeah, this guy's not lying. If someone's like, we fuck every night, like, no, 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 this is not marriage like at all. Yeah, yeah. So look, de facto is a bit. That's more pretty intense. What's your sexual relationship like? Look, it's not one of the factors that you that we'd focus on yeah, the most. Like, it's about you know the extent to which you have interconnected finances, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. shared shared residence. Um, public aspects of the relationship. So how your family and your friends yeah. perceive you, you know, are you like a mutually exclusive couple? Yeah. All of these, de facto matters are really fun because you, there's a lot of wriggle room to make arguments about whether you were or weren't in a de facto relationship. And people lie all the time about their relationship status for like government benefits. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you go get all their government records, you see what a lying toe rag they are. <laughs> lying to the government for, you know, like 10 years because they want to be getting like a single pension payment or something. Yeah. Then they come to the family court saying they've been they facto relationship so yeah it's very voyeuristic that's something I miss about the job yeah is that that like a gotcha moment as well like this little fucker oh yeah I mean I would I'd be taking as much surely as a human if you're like hey I I can get this payment if I say that I'm not with you Mm. it's just that when shit fucking goes tits up and you want to go half you're like oh Um, you've got to cut your losses so when you say you're having a sabbatical um, like there's no and you're unvaccinated, which is I'm assuming because you said yeah, no, I am. Because yep, of that, um, like there's not many avenues for you to go right. I'll just uh, go work in a coffee shop for a, a, you know a couple of months or whatever mm. because you're pretty limited in what you can get a job in now. So what do you do? Like where where you, where's your thoughts? I know you said you we talked before and Corey um, last week's guest, I think it was. Um, you know he you're good mates with him, and he mentioned you got like a real good knowledge of. American history and, and things like that, is there an area in which you can take your, mm. your career path that way? Look, at the moment, it's, I don't really have a clue what I'm doing, to be honest. Mate. Yeah. Um, you know, you, like you said, anyone, you, I think. You, yeah. you, can't, you can't just, you know, like you said, just go get ends meet work and stuff like that. I suppose I'm lucky in a sense that, you know, I've got some savings behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not married, I don't have children, so I don't have all of those other pressures, um, which, you know, 
you need to meet. Like, mm. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. Like I know there's a huge you know chunk of the vaccinated population who are resentful about yeah. having to get vaccinated because they were facing those very pressures themselves. A lot, of, a lot of the people at the rally when we went with Corey um, were vaccinated and in the For that reason. exactly mm. what you were saying, jabbed and jaded, he called them. But yeah, jabbed they and were jaded, yeah, with typical Nader, uh, you know, summary powers there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so no, it's it's difficult, you know. I'm um, on one side of it, I think that I'm... Um, you can see the sort of the, the, the global narrative changing right now. You know, mandates are getting wound back yeah. all over the world. and mm, like, We'll you know, be a bit behind, but... We'll yeah. be behind, but we're discussing it before. You know, like yeah. there's all these other issues now that are taking the, the news headlines away from COVID, you know, the mm. war in Ukraine, all these floods and stuff that are happening. So I feel like sooner rather than later, we'll probably follow the rest of the world with mm. the scrapping of the mandates and things Doesn't like that. Doesn't it frustrate and, you, though, that it's like... Everything it's that going to be like the rest of the world have learned the lessons. We've watched, we've sat back and watched as everything's <laughs> happened. Yet we're still going. Oh, and we know it's inevitable, but we're just doing it after everyone else. It seems so fucking pointless to me. I'll tell you what. If in a hundred years' time, if we have some sort of you know like a, oh. a con world conference where we get like delegates to representatives of what it was like to have COVID, be like representative for Western Australia, stand up, shut the fuck up, yeah. sit down. You don't know what it was like. Yeah, exactly. You do not know shit. You know. And look, yeah. and so you can't argue. Well, that's a great reason. That's a great thing that we didn't know. Yeah, 100%. but. Um, at the same time, did we like? And everything's always in hindsight. Is it an overreaction? Is it an under underreaction? I wouldn't want to be Mark McGowan as much as I fucking hate him <laughs> and his actions and his attitude towards everything that's happened. Um, I still wouldn't want to be in his position and well, make trying to make the decisions. I think you could be more empathetic and more he personal. could a hundred percent. But the, the actual yeah. position of power, uh, as in what the role, I wouldn't want I don't that know, role man, because that first that's, two years was pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, daddy. you're damned if you do, damned if you don't mm. sort of a thing, you know, yeah. in politics. You're never going to um, please anyone, everyone. But I reckon one of the things I reflect on is that it so easily could have been different for me. Like I've got a bunch of mates who are expats over in London and they spent the best part of a year mm. locked in their houses, you know, mm. unable to do anything. And if I was in that position, I guarantee I would have had the jab already because um, I would have wanted to, 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 to live. Yeah, to live again. Yeah. And I've been lucky enough that I've been in a, a situation where – that wasn't the circumstances that I was in. So I was able to make a different decision, mm. but you know, everyone's personal circumstances, you know, have to some extent driven um, mm. their decision here. I don't, I don't certainly don't buy the narrative that everyone's just doing it because they want to protect their grandparents Fuck and stuff. No. I think it's more driven by convenience. You know, yeah. Convenience and selfishness, you know, in the sense that, you know, you want your life back. You want to be traveling. A lot of people, how many people are you hearing on talk back saying those sorts of things? I don't think and coercion, I convenience, think, coercion. Oh, and I seen, and we, you can't use one survey that you've seen, but it was the, the breakdown. And I can't remember the numbers hundred percent, but it was really, it was jarring how many people had it specifically for convenience it was like 60% or something yeah, like I, that. Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt was, it. There was a good 5 to 10% had it specific. It was about 7 7% or something like that had it specifically because no, they were- fires a percent. <laughs> for, <laughs> for specifically for them because they were worried about the uh, about COVID. Mm. And then there was like a 15% had it specifically to protect others. Yeah. Um, but it was huge. It was like 60% of people who have had it had it just for convenience to it keep their jobs the to go like on shame holidays. narrative. Yeah, exactly. Going on as yeah. well, because that was the sort of one of the, the, the main 
tropes of of get vaccinated is do your bit to to protect others to, to, yeah. to protect others and you know making people who didn't want to do it feel like shit as if they don't they don't care about other people mm. that or that they're indifferent and that's like rewriting the social contract for mine yeah um, have you been around people like, i don't care about other people fuck <laughs> people are annoying fucking nah. most politicians <laughs> yeah you're right they the shame factor is fucking huge but at the same time I'm like, fuck it, man. If someone's at risk, they know they've been living at risk for how long. Mm. Yeah, they can take care of themselves. They can look after their own health. They can put into play whatever they want. It's just like um, old mate, uh, what was his, Mahel Mazar, I can't say his name, from uh, Rogan that was Majid on. Nawaz. Majid Nawaz. When he was talking about like the people, if they've got a fucked kidney, someone else doesn't have to protect you and give you their kidney. The government can't just say, go, yeah. give them the kidney. It's like yeah, I would. It's the first time in history where the government said, you have to fucking protect this 0.0003% of the population why, or attack you. Real, real question. Uh, why couldn't the vulnerable just be isolated, isolated, isolated. and vaccinated? Yeah. What, like the, I thought the, you were going to say intern for a second, <laughs> so, so to stop Exterminated. The, to, stop, to stop the spread for the, for the vulnerable, why couldn't we just isolate the vulnerable? And I'm not saying suggesting that was an option. I'm yeah. just saying why, why, why isn't that not an option? Because it's not fair. The 99% of us... That's what I mean. So yeah. 99% of us could just carry on with our own life and yes, there would be fucked for those 1% of people who just yeah. couldn't go do anything. But... It's been fucked for 100% of everyone that yeah. couldn't do anything. So well, why not whole, just go- the shop, the trolley problem. Yeah. Do you push one person on to save three or do you let the train- I don't know. Three that it it's also the way the stories are told. You know, you, you, know, um, you, you see you know, old people who, who've passed from it and you see oh, a yeah. newspaper article and it's a really in-depth sort of like look into their life, you know, like their, 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 their family relationships, mm-hmm. who they were, what they contributed to the community. Yeah. So it really, you know, gives the- the reader of that article, like a deep insight into their life so that you empathise with them more. Mm-hmm. And this is what like Noam Chomsky and like, you know, Edward Herman were talking about years ago with manufacturing consent is, is that there's worthy and unworthy victims. And by going into that level of detail about yeah. this person's life and, you know, that they, that they were worthy, it gives yeah. this narrative that, um, you know, we need to do everything that we can to save them. And I also wonder to what extent a lot of these people who were living in nursing homes, like what was their standard of life Before. like while, while they were there, you yeah. know? Um, I can tell you, my mum's a nurse in nursing homes and it's horrific. They're this, understaffed, I mean. overworked. Are the, people even visiting them? Nah. You know, like were they only convenient once they could be turned into like, you know, a little portrait and vignette of tragedy, 100%. but their life was maybe a tragedy beforehand. The, the nursing homes is the most depressing fucking thing of all time probably after the family court like my mum is just she cannot believe what happens in there like she's gone from nursing home to nursing home they're doing her best but they're all run on a budget it's a business they don't give a fuck about their actual people in there the only staff they can get are the ones from overseas a lot of African staff a lot of um, Arabic staff that just come in because they will take the job Um, and they're trained as nurses or they're at enrolled doing nursing and they don't have enough they don't my mum was in charge of 80 elderly people on her own Jesus in Christ. a 12-hour shift you don't even in 12 hours she couldn't go around and shower and change all that people don't get showered it's fucked man it's like one of the most fucking depressed if i ever end up in a nursing home give me a bullet before going in yeah mm. i'm in the same boat as that i 
I'm no longer able to look after myself, yeah. you know, give me the sign. I'm pretty close with my back. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's fucked, man. Uh, nursing homes are one of the most fucking underfunded um, and the nurses are overworked mm. and the people live in atrocious conditions, man. Even though it's, it looks good, like not having a shower, yeah, no. you know, and having someone there to shower you if you need. And they've all got dementia as well. So that's kind of a blessing. Yeah, but they're, they're not aware, I suppose, yeah. of how horrible. The but there is the moments mean. of clarity where they're like, where the fuck am I? What am I doing? And they're just petrified and they're scared and they've got no one there to comfort them. So we hang on to them out of selfishness as well because 100. we're not willing to let them go because we don't want to go through the emotional yeah. anguish and the we grief of losing someone. Imagine yeah. going through family court to get rid of granddad. I'll tell you what, that, that does happen. Eh? Really? Like, yeah, yeah. You get older couples and like, you know, they, they, they separate when they're like 80 or something. And you know, it's the freaking like money grubbing kids that are behind yeah, it all. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, trying to shore up their inheritances and stuff like that. I've had a couple of unsavory cases like that. Yeah. How's yeah. the bloke that kidnapped his wife? You see that? Nah. He, he drove over. He was like 90. She was like 80 maybe. He's from Queensland. They were, li- <laughs> they were living together. Yeah. And then um, the kid got involved, got mum out, put her in a nursing home, had dementia. He drove back, like he fully in love with her, drove back, put her in the car, kidnapped, like t- took his wife back, was driving her back across the border and then got pulled over and then they got separated and they died within like a day of each other. She died and then he, he died after. Oh, well, if the kids were gone for a family law property settlement, yep. you can't bring it once one of them are dead. So yeah, fuck. lost out there. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was fucking brutal. Yeah, then so. definitely. But you do have to protect, I guess the elderly and stuff, we do have to protect. Um, in- well, both my parents are at risk. Like, yeah. But I still am like- as callous as it sounds, it's like, man, that's just part of life. Mm. You know, mum's going to do her best to protect herself. Mm. Dad's going to do his best to protect himself. He's fucking, he's gone and been triple jabbed, even though he's like, he's got fucked lungs, man. Okay, so yeah. I, and this is what I didn't like about the <clears throat> media portrayal the other day about the ICU stuff in Perth. I think they said roughly 26 people were in ICU and they said 13 of them were for, were unvaccinated, which is 50% of the, People no, who were in there in hospital. In, in, there was zero at ICU at that time. Oh, was it fifteen percent in fifty percent in hospital? Not ICU. Anyway, yeah. So now in there's hospital. five in ICU. Okay, so it was. And they a, said they're in there with COVID. They didn't say because of yeah. COVID. Yeah. So and this is right. my this is my so. issue. So if there's twenty six in hospital and thirteen percent of them are, you know, of them. Un, un, sorry, thirteen of them. Sorry, so fifty yeah. percent of them are unvaccinated. That seems pretty like a huge number considering 98% of people are, va- are vaccinated, which means only yeah. 2%. Yeah, so I get those that ratio value. But they didn't specify whether those 13 unvaccinated people were there like because of COVID or with COVID. Yeah. So were they there for a broken leg? Were yeah, they there yeah. for fucking cancer? Were they there for anything? Were they there for a fucking kidney thing? I don't know. Who, who gives a fuck? Whatever they're there for. But they didn't specify that. They just said they're there with COVID. Yeah. And, and I don't like, and they didn't say their ages. They didn't say anything, yeah. nothing like that. They just said 13%. So, so 50% of the people. Because they say, oh, we, we don't want you to know people's medical yeah. um, status. Mm. But Jack Darling. Yeah. National news. Well, the facts <laughs> matter as well. And, you know, like this is like one of the things that's been, you know, um, bothering me is, is that there's a real trust deficit that exists between like us and mainstream Oh, yeah. now. And if they're not presenting the facts to us, you know, straight, like for yeah. instance, you know, these people who are in, in, in hospital is because they're hospitalised by COVID yeah. or it's with COVID and they yeah. have something else, that's a 
really important distinction and yep. people are sick of being lied to. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel, I honestly feel in my gut, the whole reason we're in this predicament in the first place is because of mainstream media. The over-reporting of COVID, yes, it was pretty bad, but again, all those, the pandemic is like a lot of those people. Oh, the fear spike and the yeah. the, the mongering, yeah. Well, we, you can see it happening. Like, yes, there's been a pandemic. Yeah, I 100%. COVID's a thing. It's it's bad for people. But again, even those original numbers are a lot of people that had predisposed conditions. However, they're the ones that are fucking bought this, stoked this flame to this mass. They're like, oh my God, yes, how good is this? A new virus, a new pandemic. Let's fucking report on it. And that pressure has put pressure on politicians to make policies and the policies are what's influenced our lives and fucking- It's a media wet dream, isn't it? It like, is. With, with, with originating out of China and the yeah. whole question about whether it was naturally occurring or yeah. was it a lab leak? You know, it's something you can, you know, use to demonize Yes. Most fucking important trading partner, but um, yeah. Yeah. The, the enemy of the West ideologically. Yeah. So, mm. you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's Mate, a, it's a don't say anything media. about China. You get censored. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 the only video that we put up. We put up one thing where I mentioned every video on TikTok was going a certain, it's pretty sort of consistent. Like how many views you get, you get your odd outliers that go big, but pretty consistent as soon as we had a crack at China. Bang. Like What'd you do? Nothing. Shout out the Dalai Lama or something? No, <laughs> I just said fucking China were pulling the strings on everything. Yeah. It was weird, man. He, he came up with a <laughs> well, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just said the CCP had Allegedly, infiltrated. sorry, CCP. Yeah. 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 I just said the CCP had infiltrated. And when I say CCP, like the I'm 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 99% sure that the CCP is probably controlled by elite uh, them, elites themselves. So, mm. but yeah, the CCP had already infiltrated everywhere anyway. And, and it got like, our views are like over 5,000. It had 40 <laughs> yeah, views. Yeah, like 40 views. <laughs> so everything's like 5,000 before. And where he came up with the conspiracy about China, it was like 40. <laughs> so they're doing well. Just C shut C it down. Don't talk about China. C stands for censored. Maybe right. you can be like John Cena and you can issue an apology. Oh, <laughs> I want to apologise yeah. to the people of China about calling Taiwan a country. Well, no, he, didn't even, he didn't even say that. He said, I want to apologise for my mistake. Oh my he couldn't God. actually even say what his mistake was. Nice. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good grueling. politician talk. Man. I don't know enough about Taiwan. Do you know much about Taiwan? No, I don't know a great deal um, about the history of Taiwan and their connections um, with China, but I know that everyone's, you know, shit scared that they're the next domino on the global chessboard to mm. potentially, you know, be taken um, forcefully. Mm. Once that seems to be the sort of narrative that China, when's China well, going to take the, Taiwan? These are the things I've started to question myself. So like I, I'm, I'm in a position where I, I still, I don't agree with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. I don't agree with what's happening with China and, and Taiwan and, and the, the Uyghurs and the, Uyghurs? Uyghurs. <laughs> the Uyghur suicides. Um, oh, sorry, genocide. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff. I don't, uh, Chinese Communist Party like it being called suicide. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wouldn't they? So I don't know. Like, So remind me what Uyghurs is again. We said it last week. The Uyghur. Uh, like a Muslim, Muslim class within China who are being oh, um, persecuted being, and like sent to re-education camps. And, uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Put in like clan- uh, I'm sorry, I won't say anything, China. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like being put, yeah, put in detention centres and right. And allegedly, so like learning a, why their religion is wrong. <laughs> sort of is that what guess. they're doing? I guess. And again, I don't know enough about it, but China's again, a I know. Um, religiously neutral, yeah. like um, country. They're not like you know having like a Judeo-Christian tradition or anything like yeah. that. It's is um, that on the records now? Or pretty is sure. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not an expert on China, yeah. but um, so, well, and this is where I'm at. Like I'm trying to like figure out. I'm trying to. Re- check myself. I'm trying to go, why do I believe that Russia is bad? Why do I believe that China is bad? 
what have I been told for my whole life? And you yeah. see it all in movies, you see it. In, but why have I – like I also have an underlying um, feeling to automatically assume you're being manipulated. Yeah. So why do I think that? Without using any critical thinking, I have an instant sort of assumption that this guy's bad, this guy's good. America's always been fucking sneaky underneath and fucking causing problems everywhere. Why do I have these initial um, feelings? And I have to start to reality check myself because I – I'm letting it influence my thoughts already, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being critical in my thoughts on what's going on in the world. I automatically assume Russia's not a bad guy, but maybe they are. Yeah, maybe we're wrong. I automatically I assume- I think you are questioning things. Like you're questioning your underlying assumptions and things. Yeah. So I think that's an indication that you are thinking critically rather than just accepting it one way or the other. But this is the problem of the times we live in now. Mm. It used to be, um, you know, centralised information or mm. more or less, I know the printing press sort of, you know, like revolutionised in that way, but still you control the medium, you control the message. Nowadays mm. it's- you don't know what to freaking believe. Yeah. There's so much information out there and you know, you've got such polarized views out there. It's almost impossible to know who's telling the truth. And that's mm. why I think history is so important because mm. the more you understand history and you understand what's driving these nation states, particularly when talking about like geopolitics, you can start distilling the truth down like, um, you know, a bit better because you have an idea about what motivates these countries and what are their historical gripes and things like What's that? What's your studies, Shane? Let's do some historical yeah, because, flexes. Well, that's it because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love history. Teach us. But I have, I have like this no knowledge of it. But when someone tells me about the history, I'm fucking – I get hey, mate, I've seen your history in Google. <laughs> <laughs> but I, get, I don't I, think anybody wants anyone <laughs> looking at their history on Google. And so I'm one of those nerds who will love a, a – like, and I know it holds no <laughs> reality, but like a national treasure thing when they're sort of referring to historical artefacts. But, yeah, yeah. But when someone tells me real stuff, I like – I just get right yeah. into it. And you know a bit about – as far as I'm aware, like the American Revolution and stuff. I have no idea what the fuck that is. Yeah. I have well, no what idea. Is, what's history pointing towards in your – what's your hot take on – on the world at large at the moment? Oh, well, at the moment, I think what we're witnessing is a transfer of power. The United States is no longer the predominant power, or if it is, it's starting to slip. Yeah. You know, they've been the predominant superpower since the end of World War II officially, but realistically, I think it was World War One. And what we're seeing is US hegemony slipping and you know, all these actions that have been taken, you know, with like Russia taking Crimea, Russia now going into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They're confident the United States isn't going to, to interfere all. and meddle other than, you know, impose economic sanctions. And yeah. those economic sanctions could be a double-edged sword as well because the, the, the whole bedrock of the US like power is the US dollar as the reserve currency. Yeah. If you force out two of your competing emerging powers, China and Russia, into some sort of alternate system that the rest of the world co-ops or, or goes into, mm. all of a sudden then the US power is dead. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're going to see the rise of – I think we're seeing the rise of China. Um, Russia's yeah. emerging as a, as, a, as, a, as a dominant power as well. And I think that what we're witnessing is the decline of the US empire. Yeah. It, and it, was a short, it was a short empire. It was only like less than 100 years. It reminds me of um – Conor McGregor, you do fucking naughty. Also, the quick US. rise and fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they've been in power for 100 years and I, I feel like, oh, again, I know nothing of economics and, and history, but this war and the economic sanctions that our country and America and everyone's putting on Russia is costing us way more. 
Oh, yeah, but the inflation, I hate are this they fucking- it, Are they using that uh, as a hidden- In Australia, a little bit more, but fucking in America, I hate that Biden's trying to blame the inflation that's happened over there on, on the, the U- war. on the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Yeah, be- the economy's been be- fucked for ages. Did they, oh, yeah. uh, have they ignored the last fucking 11 to 12 months of just like terrible fucking- Yeah, um, yeah. decisions. Oh, just ridiculous decisions mm. and well, just- Let's yeah. let's go back to the start. How did America take control in the first place? Mm. So, what was interesting about the American Revolution? So obviously, America was a British colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 13, 13 colonies that ended up becoming the Federated States of the United States. But what was interesting about the U.S. Revolution is is that it was actually driven by like the propertyed classes within the United States. Most revolutions start as a slave uprising, or for, they start with the peasant class. Yeah. This was actually a revolution that was spearheaded by the aristocrats in the United States. So it was a transfer of power from one set of elites in Britain to a new set of elites in the United States. And mm. one of the things that gets um, but this this new set of elites are British, right? And they're seceding from the original Brits. Yeah, well, not all of them were from were from Britain. A lot of them had, you know, European roots. Right. A lot of them had been born in the United States as well because okay. the U.S. had colonies from, you know, geez, I can't remember the exact date, but 1600s, there was definitely yeah. colonies in the United States. So um, that was the most interesting aspect of the revolution was it was driven by um, the, the property classes in the United States. Um, and one of my sort of... Uh, the people that I look at as one of the being most important was Alexander Hamilton. And uh, the reason I got into Alexander Hamilton was at morning tea, and my auntie and my uncle having a discussion about it, and I felt left out. So I'm reading this book. So I was like, oh, I fucking better read this book. Is and that the play? The yeah, Broadway yeah, play, yeah, yeah, Hamilton? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, you know, he was, um, he was really big on um, separating the United States from, um, from Britain, enshrining a constitution, because the biggest bugbear of the founding fathers in the United States was they were concerned about monarchical power yeah. and the divine right to rule. So really what they wanted to do was set up a democratic or, or governing apparatus that wasn't, div- wasn't based upon um, uh, a right to rule mm. that was hereditary or ordained by God, um, by, by God mm. but people were being selected um, yeah, by, uh, by the people for the people, not which all, has no, been... Not all the people, though. Yeah. Most of the founding fathers had a real fear of, 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 of the masses. They called the, you know, they, they, they deemed that the, the masses weren't steeped in you know, global issues or property stuff enough so that they're like, mm. these people don't really know how to rule, so we need oh, to make sure that... familiar we to can the current day. <laughs> yeah, so that we can set up a system of governance where we have more of a say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of dressed up in that those, 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 that, that language of liberty and idealism, mm. which was which was predominant around the time. There was three revolutions that occurred around that time. We had the, um, I'm not sure about about the order, but I think it was the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and then the Haitian Revolution. Mm, um, I don't know anything about the Haitian one. So all three of those revolutions were sort of playing out at around about the same time, were driven by the same sorts of, you know, values and ideals, you know, yeah. like liberty, equality, yeah. um, fraternity, access to opportunity and stuff like that. But um, For the elite. Well, yeah, for, for the property <laughs> yeah. classes. The slaves. For, 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 don't worry for, about the slaves. Don't worry the about the people that were here first. Yeah, yep. you know, all of those sorts of things. But that's one of the things, you know, like a lot of the founding fathers get knocked, and I've heard this one go against Alexander Hamilton saying, oh, well, why didn't he get rid of slavery? The problem was is that when he was trying to federate, there was a real fear amongst all the different colonies that became the states that if you had a centralised government, it was going to be all-encompassing and turn into that tyrannical, monarchical sort of a structure that Mm -hmm. they were trying to get away from. And they didn't want the state's powers to be watered down to the point that they would 
basically useless and that a central government could um, come in over the top of them. So, um, And is that what we're seeing at the moment, like the returning to centralisation? And this is what I touched on last week and this is the same one that got censored. But like the return to centralisation, do you think that's the goal from, you know, uh, the pre-existing sort of regimes? Well, I think the problem we've got now with the, the – especially the system in the United States is that it's just, it's just a facade. It's mm. all, been, all been co-opted mm. by special interests now yeah. um, in any event. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not, you know, popular um, elected – rulers who are doing the best for the ordinary average citizens, you know, for whatever electorate they're in. They're yeah. all bought and paid for by, you know, big companies. The biggest companies out there, you know, like the, the, the um And if they're not gonna win they change the rules, right? Like what they did for Bush. Didn't they? Check? They literally came up with a new oh, super delegate yeah. or some shit like that. Oh, and are you talking about the election with with Al Gore? Al yeah. Gore, yeah, when they just fucked someone over by creating. Oh, a look, new- I can't remember all the exact details about that, but I know that it was something to do with hanging chads, which is like the little bit of paper that hangs off your voting card. Some of them have been punctured fully, and some of them only wow. been punctured a little bit. But there was a there was a question of whether or not there was going to be a recount, and the Supreme Court in the United States said, "No, nah, we're not going to have a recount." and uh, George Bush's brother Jeb was the governor of Florida at the time, mm. which was the contentious swing state, which was going to, you know, swing the election one way or the other. Mm. Um, and there's an epic um, dissenting judgment uh, written by Justice Stevens um, in that in that case, saying something along the lines of, "Well, the winner of this election may never be clear. The loser is abundantly clear. It's the American people's faith in the judicial in the wow. in judicial officers as the guardians." Yeah. Um, of the rule of law. Mm. Wow. It's about, it's about a stinging indictment as can be sort of, you know, levelled by Supreme Court justice. And this has been brought up in every election since. But even I think it was Obama. Who did Obama take on the first time? Was it Al Gore again? Uh, I no, I think he took McCain. McCain. I think he beat McCain the first time. And they were time. showing like that the, you press the uh, – the oh, electric the ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they did it on the Simpsons, <laughs> but that was that was actually happening. So the, the they would put on a vote for I, don't, I can't remember which way it was, Obama or McCain, and it would vote for the other person. Yeah. And this this like these sorts of issues have been there. Like the last election had so many dodgy, so much dodgy shit go on. Whether or not it was fucking robbed or fucking false, like what Trump mm, claims, well, there was a lot of dodgy. How can you in your fucking, right mind vote for Biden? Like he isn't in his right mind. No, he's Sorry. not. I'd, yeah. No. Oh, how does the most unpopular president of all time gain? Sorry, running president of all time gain the most votes in history? Yeah, like that is interesting. So Surely he's not going to make his term though. You just feel yeah. like the sports bet odds on Biden going down. Yeah. And, you know, like Kamala Harris becoming the first female president, which As would be sort of funny, the, wouldn't it? Because oh. it'd be like becoming first female pri- president by by default. Yeah. But there's so many. Or it's like good- the first female <laughs> prime minister. There's so many good options. Julie Gillard. For the first female president, and what they've got the last two that they've tried to push through were fucking Hillary Clinton, who would have been fucking horrific. Someone said to me, like, oh, I would have loved to have seen a woman, and I was like, yeah, fucking, yeah, get yeah, great. Not, I'd love it'd be great to see a woman, just not that cunt, not a Gee, demon, not a fucking asshole like Hillary or like Kamala Harris is not like, I'm, and I'm sure there's demons in a lot of people's closets, but she's horrific the way she used to hold over evidence to put people in fucking jail, and like, mm. so she's shown to be corrupt as well. But These it's got to be more than just the symbolism, doesn't it? Yeah, like just yeah, because yeah. it's a female in office, that's not an advancement you exactly. know, for, for women necessarily, especially if they're playing the same power politics that the men are playing. They're mm. playing the exact same game. They've just got a different private part. Mm. Um, and I don't see how that's advancing anything really other than in a symbolic way, which yeah. is, this is the problem with like, the world now. Is you want to look at like the, 
the fuzzy, like, you know, symbolic yeah, or, well, you know, the outer shell. We don't want to go deeper and, you know, really analyse this stuff. Well, mm. diversity for the sake of diversity is not diversity. It's just fucking – it's just pandering to the mm. – and we've spoken about that a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with Squirrely. But um, doing it because they're the best option or they're the, going to be doing the right job for everyone – uh, I think that's where you've got yeah. to look at. And I, I look at someone like Tulsi Gabbard, who's uh, – she's a Democrat, but yep. she's sort of – Former a, service woman? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Is that a nice name for escort? No, no, no she, was, <laughs> she was a soldier. Um, service woman? Because she's she – She's pretty attractive too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, because she uh, she went against the, gra- the the narrative of the of the Democrats and what they want to do, she called out some of the Democrats, called out the Republicans. She was sort of almost middle – uh, in her sort of ideologies, um, she was just then fucking smeared as this Russian, literally, mm. uh, it just the a, oldest trope, the in oldest the book. playbook oh. ever, like smear her as a Russian fucking disinformation agent, yeah. and then she just lost out. And oh, there he is, old Wolfie's fucking back, Wolfie. Yeah. <laughs> so that that straight away just fucking that, that sort of cheers, old son. Yeah, I'll chuck it on that. No worries. That um, whole. Uh, Oh, the whole thing there just really it, <laughs> it annoys me when you just smear someone just for the sake of it because they don't agree with you. Just narrative. goes to show how you would say that, but you're a pissant that doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it just shows how much the Democratic Party machine how it operates. You mm. know, you've got to be in lockstep with the party, well, and it. if you step outside of this, then the power brokers within the party will pull you into line. So yeah. that's been the problem with the Democratic. Well, they party. did it the last one, didn't they, with Hillary and. Uh, Trump. Sanders. Well, yeah, that, Bernie. The irony about Hillary losing that election was that, you know, the, the narrative was it was all Russian, Russian, mm. Russian <laughs> interference. Yeah. She, she, she interfered with the, the, the Democratic National Convention to yep. ensure that she got the nomination over Bernie yep. and they were interfering with the Republican Convention wanting Trump. They got what they wanted <laughs> yeah. and then they lost. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a more pure form of comeuppance. <laughs> you know, like the glass ceiling shattered all over her fucking head, you know? <laughs> Oh fuck! And, you know what a horrible human being. And she was well, the one. You know, she um, was the one who authorized the, the spying on the Trump campaign as well. So yeah, authorized so many- the spying. And she had all all these horrible ties with the Saudis. Um, you know, getting money into the Clinton Foundation, and then you know, signing off on ridiculous arms deals over to the Saudi Arabian government. But taking- at what at this point, what very does it Russian, matter? Very Russian like. <laughs> Do you remember when she said that? But at this point, what does it matter? Or something along those lines about the the Gaddafi, the um, the the fuck up in Libya. Yeah, well, and that was she. She she was she was um right behind, behind that um that invasion of Libya because she saw it as like burnishing and her, her presidential um aspirations and you know that 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 blew up in her face as oh. well. So you know, I just think that not as much as it blew up in Gaddafi's ass. Yeah, well, because <laughs> Libya wasn't like you know Gaddafi was no saint. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. But I, my understanding was is that it was a, a pretty well functioning. Society, yeah. like had, had, as had, most had places problems, are until America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, highest, yeah. highest standard of and living in. We Africa. get told that it's because of like atrocious living standards and whatever mm. people are being oppressed, but they don't do it in any other countries where they don't have a financial. <laughs> but gain. also, they're, they're only a dictator once once they're no longer a client state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A number That's of right. you know um, dictatorships in the United States has propped up worldwide that you don't hear boo about. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's enormous, and you know, if, in terms of you know. Uh, allegations of interfering in other people's elections and other countries. There's no country in the world that's interfered in more countries than the United <laughs> States has. Yeah. Reading a book at the moment called United States of War, and it chronicles the United States of War since it's in since it um 
since since the Revolutionary yeah. War. It's mind-boggling. I was looking at the chronology up the back the other day. It was about <laughs> thirty pages <laughs> every year. Like they've they've deployed Fuck. troops somewhere. So, um, so, so ha- what does Hamilton do? Hamilton's gone. Let's have a democracy. Is he the father oh, of look, democracy in your he, eyes? He was one of the one of the most important architects of it. So. After the Revolutionary War, they then had to have a debate about how are we going to govern this place? Are we mm. going to federate or are we going to be a set of independent states? Yeah. Mm. You know, so, you know, 13 countries in one continent yeah. instead, of, instead of, you know, one yeah. country unified under a federated government. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this series of papers called the Federalist Papers that were authored by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, a guy called John Jay, who was the first um, Supreme Court Justice in the United States. And this was basically a series of essays which were pitching the Constitution to the public. And Alexander Hamilton wrote like 51 of these essays or something. Madison wrote like 29 or something, and John Jay wrote the rest. So yeah. he was really at the vanguard of trying to persuade um, the the population of the United States to get behind this um, this, new, this this yeah. this new this new constitution, this you know new federated government. Um, and yeah, he just had an enormous, enormous impact. He, he really, he really drove it yeah. the, the whole way. So how has that affected them getting more powerful over the years or did it have an effect on them entering other wars and secede, so they've seceded to become the United States from Britain? Then how do they get all their power now? Well, I think what happened was first, the, the, the first frontier was in the United States itself. So it was really the east coast of the United States where the 13 colonies started out. And then it was an inevitable push westward. Mm. So, you know, there was, there, was, um, there was a line of demarcation that the, the British government had said, we're not going to cross this. This is going to be Indian land or whatever. And then that was part of the reasons why the Revolutionary War kicked off as well. Yeah, right. There were a lot of hungry settlers and, you know, politicians wanting to expand and take the land. So... They expanded westward first and foremost, right until they got all the way to, 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 to the west coast of the United States. And then I think once they'd sort of colonised or taken over the rest of the country, it became a logical next step of, well, um, let's take over the world. <laughs> where, do we, where do we go to next? Yeah, right. And they, you know, I suppose you know, it was a sort of a coming of age for the nation to an extent to be flexing its muscles um, yeah. overseas. And they did it in Cuba. Um, yeah. They then went to the Philippines and booted out the Spanish that were there and um, imposed like a, a US colony effectively within the Philippines. So I think it was the logical extension of of the original frontier mm-hmm. in the United States, which went east to west. And then it sort of validated them as, um, as a global power, although they did it a bit differently. They didn't try to claim that they were just colonising places. They were, you know bringers of democracy yeah. and, um, you know. Bit of media propaganda spin nice and early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's the, that's, I think that's, that's the, the thing that stands out to me about the American myth is that they're not this, you know, benevolent state that's just trying to spread democracy <laughs> the world over. They've got, a, yeah. you know, like a, a slicker sort of PR operation and yeah. they were just like any other imperial power. They just wanted to um, rule, be powerful. Yeah. Yeah, fucks. Oh, well, I, I did have a couple of extra questions about the family law, just in terms of like the worst thing you ever saw and the best thing you saw from your time there. Oh, God. The best thing I ever saw was probably the worst. Um, oh, wow. As well. Like, um, I acted for this woman, uh, a grandmother who lost her, lost her son. Um, and I was in a case assessment conference, which is a conference where you sit down with a family consultant who's supposed to help you work through risk issues. And there'd been all sorts of horrible allegations that had been made about her son, which 
probably played a significant role in him mm-hmm. um, taking his own his own life. And just the, the the grace and the dignity with which this woman um, carried herself in this conference, it was both you know heartbreaking and inspiring mm. at the same time. It was the only time in my career I almost cried uh, when I was on when I was on the job. Um, and that's partially because it hit hard, hit home hard for me. Like yeah. I've seen what um, losing a child does to parents, yeah. um, and to see her be able to set aside any animosity that she may have had towards the mother who'd made these allegations. Who knows whether they were true or not? But yeah. to be able to put this little kid first, it was just it was inspiring. Mm. Um, but it was equally it was heartbreaking. Yeah, as well. So that probably stands out as. Um, bit of a highlight and a low light yeah. all at once. Maybe she came a couple of weeks later and gave me a Kit Kat. Um, <laughs> Just, a, and then you took a break was, for it was, it was sabbatical. A, it, it, it was a Kit Kat um, reindeer sled oh, wow. that, that, that the child had made for me. Oh, And wow. I, was, I was very touched, you know. Yeah, um, nice. That's cool. But yeah, no, so that's probably the, the one that sticks out and in my mind. How often um, do things end in violence? Not very or a lot? Oh. <sighs> Hard to say. Yeah. Um, it's it's common yeah. in almost every children's matter that goes before the court. There's some allegation of family violence, but it's important to understand that the definition of family violence in the Family Law Act yeah. is very broad, yeah. and it doesn't set it out on a spectrum. Yeah. So if you've ever had a you know heated argument um, with your partner, you've probably committed family violence within yeah, the wow. definition mm. as it's set out in the Family Law Act. So. Yeah, I suppose all the time then. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, not all, it's not all created equal. Like in my, yeah. in my opinion, you know, somebody who perpetrates a, like a terror campaign where they financially isolate, socially isolate, um, you know, belittle them and destroy yeah. their self, sense of self-esteem, like in a sort of systematic campaign, mm. that's a million times worse than somebody who came home, saw the neighbour, you know, having sex with their wife and then they've, you know, like smashed up the house or something. Yeah. I can understand one. Yeah. But the other one, I, I just couldn't understand. Yeah, I can, I can understand the isolation and the, the financial oppression. That's the one we understand, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck, man. It's, uh, do you find any trends? Do you think that men are disadvantaged in the family law or women are equal? Uh, no, I do think men are disadvantaged. I think when men make allegations um, about family and domestic violence and things in the same way that a woman might, I think that they're treated Differently, I yeah. think that there's um, a greater degree of Suck protectiveness towards um, men that are accused of that than there is towards women. In that, you know, like the, the, the males more often than not have to do the supervised contact, whereas the court ones, like, eh, you know, really, like, yeah. What about for them? It, it's not, you know, um, every case is is determined on its own yeah. set of facts, and sometimes it's about how the evidence is presented. Because as a lawyer, you know, I'll go through the the document and sometimes the story doesn't stack up. They're saying, you know, the devil reincarnate did this, this and this, but then for like six months after you separated, you've been seeing the kid, you know, three times a week for whatever. And then there's been no intervening event since that arrangement's been in place Mm. to Mm. justify being reconcerned by those things that you claim happened historically. So there's ways you can sort of try to pick it apart um, and, you know, discredit it or say, this is not a coherent narrative. You know, we need to be cautious here, but, more often than not, the court will just take a cautious approach because they don't want to make sure the kid's protected. You're right. Um, I mean, I remember being let down by the court when mum had this guy like, bombarding her with messages, showing up at her workplace, like locked her in the car, threatened her with violence. 
And she, mum, we had like fucking 60 pages of evidence and the guy presented really well in court and uh, the judge didn't even look at mum's evidence and uh, didn't, didn't award. She wanted a, what was it? Violence VRO. Yep. Yeah. Didn't award it, got laughed out of the court and because I was there with him, he tried to approach mum after. And I was like, I'll fucking kill you if you take another step, cunt. You know? mm-hmm. And then the, the lady that was the juror, she was like, she went, had a go at him and she's like, let's get you out of here. And mum, mum says it's the most she's ever been let down ever. You know, she's ever, never felt thing, more man. let down. People, you know, because you have these sort of lofty ideas about what the justice system is going to deliver for you. Mm. And most people's, I suppose, perspective on justice is if they get the outcome that they I want, know. then they yeah. consider that it was just. But it's not a justice system. Mm. It's a legal process. And it's about what you can prove yeah. um, at the end it's of the day. It's about what you can prove. It's not mm. about... Yep. You know, what's that? It's a line from a better movie. Narrative. It's not what you can something. It's about what you can prove. What's your biggest takeaway for somebody that's going through that at the moment? What's your biggest advice? Because um, no doubt we'll have a few people listening that have gone through yeah. it or going through no, it. No, well, look, hundred percent. If, if if it's a children's matter, just remember you've got to put your children first. If the other party is not a risk to them, don't deprive that child of a relationship. Separate your relationship with your ex from the relationship that they have with their child. Because yep. at the end of the day even if you think you're only hurting your former spouse who you're bitter with, you're hurting the child. And in ways that, you know, they could be spending years in therapy trying to unpack this stuff. Um, And you're not doing, you don't love your child enough if you can't put their emotional well-being ahead of your need to get revenge. And in terms of property stuff, just sit down and talk it out, you know, like figure it out, you know, give each other the financial documents you're supposed to give don't play silly buggers with it because yeah. this thing can cost you um, hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. or it can cost you about three and a half to five grand, which is what a you know, simple set of consent orders, um, that's what I normally quoted yeah, right. people for. So, you know, you have the power, I yeah. think is the message, except okay. in certain extreme circumstances yeah, yeah. where you've got one absolute psycho and that, that they do exist. Yeah, for 100%. sure. No, a few of them. But what if you don't have the let's just say you don't have the emotional skills and you know you're going to arc up a mediator's an effective use of... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me- mediation is one of the key tools that is used um, to resolve most matters and it's got a high strike rate as well. All yeah. I'd say is that if you're going to do mediation, make sure you get a good mediator. Yeah. Um, or someone that you both vibe with or just no, someone that's skilled? Someone who's skilled. Um, How do you find that word of mouth or... If you've got lawyers, they'll be able to um, direct yeah. you to them. There's um, a, a common career path. There's a lot of you know judges or magistrates who are sitting in the family court when they leave. They go into mediation. Yeah. So there's a bunch of people with a wealth of experience um, yeah. who can provide those services. My favourite guy to use is a guy called Stephen Crooks, which is the best name for a family law mediator. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's yeah, he, he was amazing. I think I had a hundred percent strike rate with really? Crooksy nice. um, in my in my in my in my career up to this point. So, <laughs> That's good. You know. Um, because yeah. I can imagine, like, just the, the fury, the, the heartbreak, the fucking emotion that would come through. Like, fucking, mm. it's my cash. Yeah. Like, you fucking did this to me, you dog. And just, well, it would blow up. So you'd need somebody that's skilled at de-escalating and still being able to communicate effectively. Yeah. Which is brutal. Honestly, a lot of the times mediations is just like an opening statement. You know, the lawyers say a bit, the parties might say a bit. Then you just spend yeah. most of the day horse trading, um, yeah. you know, yeah, offers and back and forward. You know, the other thing I was going to ask before I don't know how we're going for time, but um, oh, like time. the state gets involved, right? In 
who sees the kid, who has ownership, who who this kid is allowed to see, right? So it, our government has power over the family when it's not worked out properly. And we saw how well that worked with the stolen generation. Is there any discrepancies between, um, I don't know how much you know or not, but I'm just thinking like indigenous culture where they've, they share child mining, like back in the day to now, has there been a massive impact on that? Do you have any comment or understanding from any of that side of things? No, I don't have a great deal of experience yeah. dealing with, um, you know, indigenous families and things like that in, in the family court. A lot of the work for um, indigenous people gets done by the Aboriginal legal service yeah, cool. or, through, or through, through legal aid. What I can say is, is that um, a child's connection to their culture is something that the court has to look at in yeah. determining what's in a child's best interests. So, yeah. you know, um, they want to, if they can, um, mm. maintain those links to their culture and to their heritage. Um, but there, you know, there is sometimes um, that can be exploited cynically at times as well. People who have sort of are far removed from yeah. their culture and their practices, trying to invoke them yeah. in the family court to try to get some sort of an advantage when they maybe don't really I, I guess even follow those cultural practices anymore to the same I'm, extent yeah, I'm just thinking like culturally like an Italian family unit's usually pretty tight but like say a Japanese unit who fucking no matter what they look after their elderly do you see many Japanese clients through the family law or is that all never had a Japanese client yeah. no, I had a few Sri Lankan clients yeah. and because um, the culture family culture is different right depending on yeah. where you're from so yeah, that's look, an interesting yeah would your sure. your heritage would that play a factor in whether or not you're going to go to court and mm. stuff like that. Oh, in I your experience, do you see? I just think it's more so just about, it comes down to personalities. Yeah. Are you yeah. a conflict personality or not? Do you feel the need to win? Mm. Because that yeah. sort of drives a lot of people in the family court. perception of winning, you know, like every, every little things and an argument where their, where their, their pride and their honor is on the line. And I couldn't imagine living that way, man. It's so yeah. exhausting. Eh? I think yeah. the greatest thing that I've learned in the last Definitely in the last probably two months, three months, but certainly over uh, over the last four or five years, the greatest thing that has happened to me is losing and being able to accept and know you're going to lose, even if you're right in an argument. Mm. Losing in any situation has made me grow so much more. I think the ability to be able to actually take the loss has made me a better person and if people could sort of put aside their e egos and take the loss for the better of other people kids specifically I think that's the way forward for everyone you could be the new culture leader for the Gold Coast Suns <laughs> <laughs> perfect yeah but those that, those things uh, I think losses are something we all need to be, get better with like mm. we have to be able to handle them better just like you spoke about death our relationship with death is not there. Yeah. We won't handle things differently if our relationship with death was completely removed from ego and our, what we want um, those sorts of things. I think that's what, how we need to move forward. Mm. Yeah, we've got a very curious relationship with death, don't we? We've always been preoccupied with mortality and mm. what is there beyond life and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, who fuck knows? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. who knows? Who does know? But uh, um, uh, Henry Tyler does. Who's that? <laughs> Have you seen him? I don't know why I brought that up. I just Henry Tyler is that? I think it's that's his name. The celebrity guy who does the you know, talk to the dead. Yeah. 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 Uh, John, seen, like John it, Edwards. 
Yes, yeah. very similar. It came up on my suggested thing on Netflix the other days and I got caught watching the, the preview for a minute and a half mm. and I was like, fuck, this cunt knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like that sort of Hollywood We need stuff them in the family bit. court, mate. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Don't worry, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. I you got nothing to plug. Yeah. You're, home, you're, you're homeless. <laughs> Looking for a job. Oh, look. Can yes, I actually, so what can, is next? Can, yeah. I, can, can I, I could plug my sister. Um, oh, that sounds wrong. Yeah, geez. Wish I rephrased that. Phrase that more eloquently. Yeah. Yeah. No, so uh, if anybody needs psychological services, there we go. Uh, my sister Joanna Tedeschi through Inner Universe Psychology. Um, speak to her. Go see her. She's an amazing grief counsellor um, and can really help guide you through um, that's what difficult. I was going to ask if you don't know how to deal with that who mm. do you call and and look you know like she's, she's gone through you know plenty of traumatic things in her own life and I think that you know people who go through those things and come out them come out the other side um, I think they're going to be more effective yep. therapists um, than somebody who's you know just studied yeah. not really having any trials it. and tribulations to go through so yeah that'd yeah. be and obviously I'll, I'll, I'll plug uh my great mate Corey White, <laughs> in my opinion, the, uh, the the best comedian in Perth. Sorry, Delby. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's no, you smart. know, he's um, yeah, he's one of the most worldly people I've ever met, and you know, just I admire him. Yeah. You know, he's uh, his bravery he speaks his mind. Um, he's not everybody's cup of tea, but at least you know where you stand with him. Yeah. And I know that he's coming from a place he cares. Yeah. He cares about the state of our world, the state of our society. Um, He's not, you know, just the person out there trying to do stuff for shock value. Yeah. He genuinely cares and he's got a very inquisitive mind. So, you this know. This is – We'll use that sound bite for Corey's eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, I daydream about people's eulogies. Yeah. I'm weird like that. Like, <laughs> Maybe I, that's your next step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a eulogy Fun- writer. Funeral <laughs> celebrant. I think that's – Funeral celebrant. I think that's um, – And hey, it doesn't matter if you're not vaxxed he's dead already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think those sorts of things, uh, like he genuinely cares – I think the conflicts he has with people and everyone, this is not just him, but the conflicts they have, they all care and they all think that they're doing the right thing. They're trying to do the thing that helps everyone. Or Even the woke the, people think they're doing the right yeah, thing. Everyone yeah. feels like they're doing the right thing. They all want the same thing. They want everyone to be safer, be happier. We yeah, just dis- I people just disagree on the, the, on the way to get there. And so um, if we come at it from that angle, all conflicts, all disputes from the like, we all want the same thing. There, I'm sure there's outliers who are just cunts or evil people. But I don't, for me, I truly believe it's a, there's not many of those sorts of people in the world. I think that's know. the cultural challenge we face right now is, is that we need to have a space where we can discuss these things and we can disagree with one another and not mm. turn it into like warring tribal factions. Mm. You know, we've got a lot more in common than we do, um, you know, differences See, I disagree with that. I think we need war. And we need tribal factions. <laughs> we need tribal factions. Yeah, oh, look, you know, it's just, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good. Being able to have important. a, yeah, being able to disagree but not hate someone for disagreeing, mm. which is what po- fucking social justice is now. Oh, yeah. If well, you is- have a different opinion, you are a fucking dog, fucking Russian spy, you're <laughs> an anti-vaxxer, you're, you're the worst human being ever because you've decided to use your brain mm. or not use your brain and disagree with a point doesn't mean that you're a shit cunt. I'm seeing in the, one or two terms. I'm seeing the sh- <laughs> I'm seeing the shit cunts in our oh um, my god in our in our Facebook rise at the moment yeah. because they it's probably just a troll there farm. is no nuance with how they are treating Tash in our videos. Yeah, <laughs> it is disgusting. Yeah. It's great for our reach. It has created a big reach. But yeah, yeah. that that side of 
that, that, yeah, that side of things is. I just, would love to see half the people. is the that, right thing. Yeah. yeah, half the people that comment if they did it in real life. Yeah, yeah. It's just they feel safe. Yeah, keyboard. Uh, well, that's the thing as well. Safe it's book. a bit of a gold standard, isn't it? Mm. Like safe it's book. not something mm. that you <laughs> if you're willing to say face to face. Yeah. You know, don't say it. Corey will say it to your face. You don't have to bloody hope Corey will say it to your face, yeah. especially if he's had he got his tail off after having a few. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mate, right. thank you so much for coming on. He yeah, was cheers, right. Bro. We, fucking, we should get actually both you and Corey. And yeah, just we'll have beers you both on at the same time and just fucking talk. Oh, that that, that could be dangerous if you get on the beers. No, no. <laughs> we'll just make it a Patreon only. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, what am I, I'll plug this at the start of the app as well as the end. But mm. the Patreon. Oh, we need. Do we need to give a shout out for the new Patreons at the start of this because yep. Yep. the Patreon only? Yeah, just in case. Well, I think we'll release that first one. But we'll just get, in are case, are we going to release the first 15, 15 or 20? 20 yeah. minutes? Yeah. Just before you do that, can I just give a plug to some good family lawyers? If there yeah. any, oh, any yeah, listeners on here. You need to go get good advice from someone. You you, you, yep. you can know where to go. That look, there's there's two people that I'd probably recommend. Uh, number one is Lucy Gray and Jeremy Tolkien from Tolkien Legal. Um, excellent lawyers, very compassionate. Great author as well. Uh, yep, they're, they're, <laughs> they're really good. Uh, go see Vince Bradley at Leach Legal as well. Vince is one of the true gentlemen of the uh, of the profession. Um, very very competent and a good bloke. So nice. yeah. So Lucy Gray. Lucy Gray from Tolkien Legal Tolkien and Legal. Vince Bradley from Leech Legal. Okay, beautiful. Nice. So if anyone needs that, hit them up. Um, quick plug at the end. I've got uh, – well, we've got, I've got Teacher Comedy Night. I really need um, to start moving a few more tickets. I will sold, put up an ad for you tonight. Sold 100, um, but I need to sell 600 because it's two shows. Um, again, don't have to be a teacher. It's still fucking funny. Got yes. Matt Storer on. But, and you, um, and you, can have, you can have of come – Already before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every show is different. Every show is different. Even my material changes every time. Yep. Um, but then uh, Hard Yarns, Footy Tipping League. Oh, and, yeah. And Fantasy League. Yep. So if you like fantasy footy and footy tipping, jump on the Patreon, jump on Instagram, jump on um, our Facebook. You'll find the links. In. I put my tips in. Have you done yours? Yeah, I've done Who my tips. Who are you going tonight? Uh, I think Melbourne by over 40. <gasps> I oh, did yeah. Bulldogs by six, but I, can, I, can, cha- can I change? Yeah, you can change. Cool. Yeah. I'm just uh, like, because I, 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 I want my... I want to change my Eagles tip. Yeah, I'm going oh, mate, Eagles 80 plus. Tip against them every week. They're, they're cooked. Mate, yeah. Um, yeah. Couple but, of, a couple of mates might be getting a game from this week and that's not even, <laughs> that's not even a joke. Yeah. That's not even a joke. Yeah. <laughs> getting put, picked out of the waffle. So, yeah. Well, um, oh, yeah, the other thing should mention that the Patreon, if you're not a Patreon, you can still have a look at the page. There's stuff that's available to the public. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. You can just so go to the Patreon. If, if you jump on patreon.com forward slash hard yarns. Yeah, so we've limited that, um, that audio, for example. You can only actually listen to it. Yeah. But you can see the post that is there. Is that yeah. correct? I think um, something along those lines. No, more like if, if we put up the footy tipping league, we can make that available to anybody. Cool. But if we want to do – uh, a bonus episode, you got to be Patreon only to mm-hmm. listen to it. Mm-hmm. So you won't see it. But yeah. you will see almost like a Facebook feed, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But just hard yarn specific shit. So yeah, check that out. Um, thanks, I guess. And we'll catch you cunts fucking when you're not being <laughs> shit cunts. <laughs> next <laughs> Actually, next week's going to be a bit uh, lighthearted. We're going to yeah. have a good lighthearted um, with Mitch Tinley from, oh, yeah, from um, 92.9 and the Mitch and Michael show. Um, cool. He's fucking. He's a he's a good lad. It's going to be definitely just silly and fun, lighthearted. And if uh, yeah, if you want to join the Patreon, the fucking Cole Legacy episode is <laughs> loose. We already got, we got fucking blue, mate. Yes, so, it was fun. Yeah, lovely. Cool. 
Cheers, Cheers for having me on, boys. Much Sweet. appreciated. Hey, Welcome to Hard Yarns Podcast. I am fucking fat. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Chris White says, please <laughs> disregard it. 5D is actually a state of being. It's a unity consciousness. That was Hard Yarns with me, Frankie Rose. So I'm going to throw it over to your co-host. Daniel Delby. And Cameron Brand. I would do this and then I'd gong. <laughs> Free in attendance for the millions listening at home. <laughs> Let's get home. <laughs>